The winds of change are blowing, and it's easy to get lost and off track. Hi, I'm Renee Barabow, the practical shaman, Hay House author of Winds of Spirit, a wind whistler, and soul coat. This is a show for pioneers who want to learn to navigate the world with a chaotic spin, awake. And kick things off as we have people coming in. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Glenn Hadley. I'm the director of Foundation Events and the host for Innovations in Recovery Global Virtual Conference. Um, we're real excited to bring you this uh, free uh, conference virtually and, and just really excited about the, the reach and all of you guys joining us from all over the world. We have from a number of continents people joining us today, all 50 states, which is really cool and, and uh, just excited to have you guys here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and go through a couple of announcements first before I turn it over to uh, our presenter today, to Renee. Uh, I'd like to thank Foundations Recovery Network and, and their uh, uh, network of facilities for making this possible. Um, whenever we, uh, Foundations Recovery Network is, has, uh, over the number of years, provided great educational content, great conferences um, for continuing education, uh, but also uh, Foundations Recovery Network is made up of uh, a number of residential and uh, intensive outpatient facilities across the country. And so if you have a, a client, a patient, or a, a loved one that's struggling with substance use addiction, um, make sure you reach out to Foundations Recovery Network and, and talk to a, um, a professional there about uh, the services that Foundations offers, and they would love to be a service to you guys. So definitely go check out Foundations Recovery Network. Also, um, want to thank Dreamscape Marketing, and uh, I know Dave Grouse here, and, and uh, their CEO, Dan Gimp, they, they've been instrumental in helping us put this on. When, um, whenever I approached them about turning this conference virtual, they, they said, absolutely, let's help. And, and so um, without Dreamscape Marketing, we wouldn't be able to put this event on. Um, so if you have any marketing needs, especially um, uh, in the substance use space and other behavioral health care, definitely go to uh, Dreamscape Marketing, go to their website, talk to one of the guys there. They can help you out with that. Also, uh, if you're interested, you can check out uh, Dan Gimp, their CEO. Check out his presentation from Thursday of last week. Um, it was uh, extremely entertaining and, uh, and eye-opening, uh, all the way from people that, that uh, have vast um, uh, companies with multiple locations, all the way down to those in private practice um, that, uh, that, that are looking to develop a website. So, so definitely hit up Dreamscape Marketing and see what they have to offer for you guys. Also, um, if you're interested in attending any of the sessions tomorrow, um, tomorrow's the last day of our virtual conference. If you want to attend any of those sessions, go to frnevents.com slash IIR and sign up for those events. Also, if you'd like to attend any of the previous events, any of the webinars from last week, or earlier this week, you can go to frnevents.com slash IIR and sign up for those. Um, the, I just got news about this. This is wonderful news that um, if you're attending these sessions and these webinars for continuing education credit, um, you'll be able to sign up and, and go to frnevents.com slash IIR, sign up and watch these events on demand. And they're, gonna, uh, they're actually going to extend it. So for the most of 2020, you'll be able to go in and watch these virtually and, and get credit for the event. So uh, just really excited to offer that to you guys. It's 100% free for y'all. And, um, and we're glad to, to provide that 
um, that resource for you guys. Um, if you're trying to, let's say that you, you uh, were watching an event, let's say that you watch Renee's event and you get about 30 or 45 minutes in and you've got to cut out for some reason and go run and do something else. Um, and, or you found out that they have toilet paper at Costco and you got to go. Totally. <laughs> so um, you can do that when you come back. In order to watch this on demand, you'll need to go back to frnevents.com slash IR and sign up for this event again and get the on-demand link. Um, it should be available by this evening. All right, so let's go over here, how to get your certificate. All right, so this is an important piece. Please listen up. If you are one of the, uh, one of the viewers that is looking for continuing education credit, at the conclusion of the event, um, I believe it's gonna be live on Friday, you can go to fou.cmecertificateonline.com. You'll click on 2020 Innovations in Recovery three-week live online and fill out the survey for the sessions you attended, and then you'll be able to print out your certificates there. This link is not live right now. You will have to wait until Friday, the um, April the 17th, for it to go live. We have to complete the event first. Um, and then you can go on and fill, fill that out for your credit. So a couple things, um, I, what I have noticed as we've done this is that, like I said before, this is a global conference. We've had attendees from all over the world join us. So just for fun, um, if you can, put in the chat box where you're joining us from today. We'd love to go through and see what state, city you, you, are you in, what country are you in, what continent are you watching us from? Um, we would love to see that. So go ahead and put that in the chat box, all right? And then um, for our presenter today, for Renee, if you have questions for Renee, um, put it in the Q&A section, okay? And she'll get to those at the end of the talk today. If you have a technical question or um, you just really wanna chat with Dave because he's that cool, like you can go into the chat box and, and just uh, put your questions for us in there. We'll answer those as we get them. But uh, all the questions for Renee are gonna be uh, in the Q&A section. All right, so that's enough out of me. I, I really wanna in introduce Good friend of mine, Renee Barabo. I'm, I'm very excited to have her be a part of this. Uh, I've gotten to know Renee last year. Um, Renee uh, is, I tell you, she is all things finding freedom. If, you, if you've been to that conference in, in Palm Springs, like you know Renee and, and uh, uh, you know the work that she, she does and how passionate she is about our field and, uh, and about the industry that we work in, but also how passionate she is about uh, helping people. And, uh, and so I've seen Renee present at conferences all over the country, and, and uh, I'm just really excited to have her here today, uh, joining us today for Innovations in Recovery. So with that, I'm gonna shut up and I'm gonna turn it over to Renee. Okay, hello everyone. Okay, I've got to share my screen, right? Yep. Uh -huh. All right. Uh, all right. Oh, we had it's not oh here it is all right hello everyone i'm renee barbo and i am the west coast business development manager for michael's house treatment center and if you know anything about michael's house we're in the desert and many many years ago i came to the desert and i thought it was where people came maybe to die because it was so old here but it turns out that it was where people come to heal and one of the reasons we heal here is because no matter which window you look out, there's, there's a body of mountains surrounding us. And that's what I've done here over the last 20 years is my own personal healing. 
I think today is my 32nd year. I think it just happens to be today that I, I quit drinking um, when I was 30 years old and started this nature-based path. And for a long time, I, would, I was writing a book called Winds of Spirit, which is a, a Nautilus Gold Hay House award-winning uh, book about the wind and I had no idea I was writing this book and I had no idea where it was going. I just knew that uh, that there was a lot of healing in nature and at Michael's house we have an adventure program that actually takes people into the mountains and and you watch people the lights go back on in people's eyes and that's what this this presentation is about today. It's called One Recovery Many Paths. And it's really relevant for our times because we're, we, we, whereas, you know, back in the day when Bill was getting those first few um, drunk sober, we've gotten so, so much more global. But there's one thing about global that I would like to say is that the wind is the most global of all. The same wind that's blowing here today in the desert is going to reach around uh, hit Glenover and Nashville probably tomorrow and hit all of the people. They're all over the place. So they're, uh, they're going to, it's going to hit you wherever you are. So right now we're, we're experiencing a global pandemic. And so what does that mean? It means that there is a virus on the wind. So no matter where you're sitting, whether you're in India, Asia, Africa, or here in uh, the US, UK, this virus is an energetic that's on the wind. And the wind is a really interesting device in terms of, of how important it is. However, that this, this wind has the elements of this virus, which is not separate from us. So probably today more than ever, people are gonna wanna hear this talk because there's, there's something going on in our world that the wind, the virus is trying to get our attention to get us to wake up, to understand that there's a lot of addiction, a lot of suffering out there that is as a result, I believe, of our disconnection to nature. So what I just want to tell you what we're going to cover in here. So if it's not your, if it's not your jam, you can leave unless you just need the CEs and you want to stay here and, and learn something about how, how I perceive this and skills that you can use in your treatment center. But we're going to talk about nature-based traditions and practices because they've been shown to help people in long-term recovery. There's, uh, they have, um, there's, eco-psychology was developed by uh, Theodore Rozak and they're starting to study because one of the things when I started working at Michael's house six and a half years ago was i I was told you can't bring the wind here because it's not evidence-based. And my whole thinking was, well, let's get some evidence around these kind of practices because some of what we're doing is working, but some of what we're doing is not working. And you know, they know some of the studies have shown that the 12-step model isn't necessarily working for uh, heroin addiction as well as it is working for you know, the, the long-term AA sobriety. So we've had to modify and tweak. And one of the things that they're starting to do is show that, that uh, this eco-psychology is a systems-based idea, which talks about that everything is connected. And so think about it. 
let's just start by breathing in. Breathe in and breathe out. So we live in a closed system, this universe this, that's been around for about 4 billion years because it's a closed atmosphere. The same wind is going around the world and it's the same wind that's recirculating and cleansing itself. And it's such a popular idea that uh, since the beginning of time, the cardinal winds have been these, these structures that I found on the tablets, they found on the cave drawings before that, that we've used to find ourselves in this place and time that you know we call uh, now, but, but these have been uh, persistent structures to help us define where we are at all time in our life. And one of the things is, is that we nav sailors navigate from their own wheelhouse. So my north and your north may not be the same, but understanding where we are at all times in nature is really important. And so I've kind of come up with a system with the awakening compass that is really useful to help people really uncover whether, wow, is this like, is this something going on in my feeling state? Is this something going on in my mental state? Uh, you know, is this, you know, with a withdrawal, is it a physical symptom or is it a spiritual malady? And that's what this work is all about, is being able to identify with this compass system where we are at all times in order to figure out where we're going next. So I think that, that, uh, that addiction and depression is a cultural plague, and it's basically shows a timeline that's really uh, uh, matches our, our mass disconnection from nature. So, and a step further shows our, our, our separation from the religious structures that have held us uh, for the last 12,000 to 14,000 years. As these things have been crumbling, we're seeing an increase in addiction and depression and the overuse of medication to try to restore us to some semblance of sanity. When really, if we started to take wind walks on a daily basis, and reconnect, and right now, what better time during this global pandemic to reconnect to nature, whether it's going out in your own yard or going around your neighborhood. And if you're cramped in a city like um, New York, I heard Central Park has been pretty empty and wear your masks of all things, but that to start to reconnect to nature is the way that we're going to find our way back into society because there is no more business as usual. We have just crossed a threshold where there was before COVID-19 and after COVID-19. And what do I mean by that? There's never been a time in my lifetime and most everybody else on this call where we've been actually uh, locked down, separated, isolated, where there's been uh, something that's been globally circulating in the wind, this virus, that keeps us locked down and, and separate. And so this is the ultimate separation. And what I believe is that our way back to, uh, to some degree of normalcy, which is not gonna look like what it looked like before, because there'll be never before a time when in our lifetime when we've all been separated, isolated, and shut down because of a, a, a global pandemic. And, 
So, but I believe also that this whole pandemic is absolutely related to our increasingly addictive and exploitive relationship with our natural world. And, you know, there's all these conspiracy ideas and other things. I'm not even going there. I think if you just look out the window and you listen to what's going on now that we've all quieted down, but I'm hearing the birds. I'm seeing an owl. People are seeing animals in cities that haven't been there for a long, long time. Are, are we, as we take away and aren't exploiting our relationship with nature, not driving everywhere, we have, um, we have an ability to heal. There's mountains showing up, cities without smog, all of these things that we've just been so numb and so accustomed to experience in our life. Hopefully, this is the time and space that we're going to be able to start to move towards a more harmonious relationship with nature, which I believe will help in our, in, in our addictive world too. Because trust me, a lot of what I've been seeing and a lot of what I'm experiencing in, is a second, two generations away from a, a structured spiritual experience. And so there's a, a generation lost. And this is why we're seeing so much of it in the 20 to 30 year olds, because their parents were of the generation where our parents said, hey, uh, it's, we're, we're spiritual, you know, we go to church twice a year. And so this next generation has none of those foundations, whereas opposed to uh, a couple of generations ago, it was a, a, a common practice to find your community and to find that support in this structure. And trust me, I, I'm not saying the answer is to go back to church or not go back to church, but, but what I am saying is that we've lost our connection to the sacred, which we found, one way we found it was in churches in those kind of organized religions and also in nature and there's, they show the same decline. So, so how did we get here? We got here over the last 12,500 years. So we're, we're sitting on a pandemic that is the result of a 12,500 to 14,000 year um, unwinding. And you know, back when we were hunters and gatherers, we lived we traveled, we, we, you know, we had this, we, we, we lived in harmony with nature. And then once we started to have land ownership, we furthered our divide between nature by this is mine, this is not mine, this is yours. And so we started to separate like that. We could even own this natural commodity. And then uh, and at, at the same time, there was the rise of monotheism Whereas before people would, you know, there was the grain god and the wind gods and, and people had this relationship with all of nature because we are nature, we're not separate from nature. And then all of a sudden we, we, we took dominion over nature. You know, we, we could own land. And then there became one true God and then the rest were false. So bringing up some wars because my God's true, your God's not true. And so as this came about over this last 12,000 years, this separation and this cultural disassociation continued. The slides aren't changing. 
are the slides not changing? I'm seeing them changing on my screen. Or are they just a little slow? Glenn, I can't hear you. It's um, uh, right now I'm just seeing your title screen. So uh, let me see. I have, okay, go let me go share. here. Go back to Wait, I'm here now. Can you see them? There we go. Yep, perfect. Oh, all right. So that was mostly my introduction. So you'll, and you, uh, I have the slides for all of you, and thank you for somebody bringing that up. So we're still talking about how we got here. So we're talking about an evolution that, you know, is 12,500 12, to 14,000 years long that, according to a lot of the prophecies, ended in 2012. And so we're in this gap. Yes, the slides will definitely be available to download because there's a lot of information here uh, that, that I will you know, go over. And so then we got to the age of enlightenment where, where logic and reason over tradition. You know, so at that point, a lot of these indigenous time-tested practices were made wild, bad, evil. And so we, we took a we took away our permission to have our own supernatural relationship with nature. We stopped using nature as this, this way, but it was so important. The wind was so important that Holy Spirit is a wind, Ruach is a wind, Om is a wind, Nirvana is a no wind. At some point, the wind was this powerful force that you that was invisible that you that you know that people were in relationship to and you can read all about that in my book winds of spirit because that's not what we're just talking about today we're talking about more generalized nature but so we 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 lost our we lost our nature relationship to nature and it kept separating then we went from then we went from to the industrial revolution where farming which again was an outdoor sport, was replaced by work. And the, we increased our divide between people and nature. And then our consumerism started to grow and we started to exploit our natural resources, which I was thinking about last week and, and probably some of you since our, our travel. Think about how frenetic the airport was as opposed to how quiet it is now and how we were always going somewhere else. You know, I'm getting more familiar with trees in my neighborhood now that I had never noticed before instead of, you know, gate H8 over at the airport. And so we just, it became our norm and our acceptable norm to go somewhere else. And so we became, we started moving faster and faster. And then we had uh, globalism and here there is no better example of globalism than what we're experiencing right now with the uh with the uh, the, the the global pandemic so now we have the ability to create a virus in a lab in china and have it spread around the world in a matter of a couple of months so this is where our globalism has taken us but as we evolved as human we became commodities and this is just so imagine, think about ourselves now, we became commodities where we are, our value was determined by our 
um, how much we could produce. So over this, you know, this 21 to 50, you were at your maximum production. You know, you're worthwhile, you're doing this. And then over to 50 to, to 70, there was a natural decline. Well, it, it became a, a, a commodity thing where we were humans doing instead of humans being. And if nothing else during this time, stop and feel like what it feels like to be again. So where am I going with all this? You know, uh, Larry Robinson asked, why do these human uh, machines keep breaking, breaking down? You know, why, why are we abusive? Why are we having antisocial behaviors, anxiety, phobias, and depression? Simply because we are uh, not machines, but we've been acting like machines. And I don't know about you, I've been like having this experience, like I'm still over here trying to, you know, create, get admissions. I'm still working over here like a, a human machine when, you know, other people are like getting to explore nature a little bit better. So this is kind of how we got here. And, um, you know, well, and it's not a conspiracy theory that this was uh, created in a lab. We know it was created in a lab, science. And it's, been, it's very well known that uh, these viruses have been adapted and we're playing with them. So I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'll just tell you that I'm a shaman. And I'm just looking at the results of what happens when things were adapted and changed. So in, in other words, where we are now is we have, we have unsustainable practices that have led us to a place of Anthropocene. And what does Anthropocene mean? Anthropocene is a time when human beings have the capacity through all of these other ways, overpopulation, disease, pollution, to create extinction on this planet, whether it's for us, whether it's for other animals, uh, whether it's for, and you know, I mean, that's just, those are just facts. You can see that a lot of animals are becoming extinct. What's happening is that the youth of our generation, and this is why I think we've had so many youth in treatment in the last couple of, uh, the, since that I was here, this 10, 20 to 30 year old population, is that they've lost their connection to nature. And so if you look like this picture, I love this picture about, you know, 50 years ago, we were playing out in the lakes. And I remember having those swings going out into the ponds, you know, that you can't even swim in now. And look at here in a third world country, they probably can't even afford food. And yet they're looking at their smartphone. So this is, uh, this is absolutely going on. And so what, what there is a connection between decreased time spent in nature and addiction. Less than 10% of American teens spend time outside every and they know that in when people live more in a congested area we like so where where we moved in from those uh from the hunter gatherers to the farming into the urban settings to become more of the machinery then we um they they there's an increase in disconnection from nature and also an uh, increase in higher risk of anxiety disorder and mood disorder compared to people in rural areas. There, 
people who are born and raised in city are twice as likely to develop schizophrenia. So, so there's, there's, this, there's this quantifiable out of evidence growing that walking in nature could lead to a lower risk of depression. And look at here, and we're not going to go deeply into this chart, but if you look at from the 60s, right about 1968, it peaked out at about 89, but that there has been a trend where we're spending less time in our natural park and natural resources. And this is kind of going on there, um, you know, that so it, yes, that's true that right now with everything closed, if people are just sitting home watching video games, we know that there's going to be an increase in depression and anxiety. Uh, we already know that people are buying more alcohol and all of this. So, you know, even for yourself as healthcare workers, you know, you're going to be needed more uh, now more than ever as we get out from this time. But we, we need to take good care of ourselves by even taking a walk outside, but it doesn't only have to be a walk outside, which I'm going to show you in a little bit here. So regardless of the root cause, the, there's evidence for a pervasive and fundamental shift away from nature-based recreation seems clear that, that there's this same decrease this is the, I think is fascinating, that the same decrease in nature-based activities is the same decrease in spiritual-based activities, such as organized religions, where people would go to churches and things like that. So there's a, you know, this is a crisis of faith plaguing the Western world. And this shows up everywhere in terms of church numbers and how many church numbers and things like that. Now, I know that there's some parts of this country that has that ha there's more of a stable number than other places. However, there's uh, Karen Armstrong in her book talks about a God-shaped hole plaguing, a, a, you know, the us Westerners that we haven't found what can replace those rituals and ceremony with um, something else that's something bigger than us. And some people do find it in AA, but a lot of people aren't finding it there. And it kind of goes hand in hand. You see it with, you know, the, the repeat uh, addiction and people, you know, dying. So, uh, so it follows the same patterns is basically, and, you know, you can kind of go through a lot of these slides and see, you know, what the research is, but one out of every six American young adults between 18 and 25 battled a substance use disorder in 2014. Now, I, I think that there is a direct correlation between lack of time in nature, lack of uh, spiritual structure, and, and then here we have this, that they're feeling alienated and they're looking for that spiritual experience because what, is, what do drugs and alcohol do? They alter your experience, but it's, it's not fulfilling, it's not filling up that, that God-shaped hole we're feeling. So, you know, in, in heroin addiction has doubled in the last 10 years. And so as our time on social media and those things are increasing, our, our level of happiness is decreasing. 
So the, the causes to me are uh, this mass disassociation from nature is the in, incongruency in religion. This, this, this generation is growing up with the, the knowledge that, 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 they, that we can actually face extinction. And they're certainly growing up with the knowledge that everything about their normal life can be uprooted in a matter of one disease so that they're one disease away from, you know, having an uprooted experience of this world. Now, I didn't have that when I was growing up. And probably a lot of the people on here didn't have this when they were growing up. And... Uh, and so there's, there's this, um, so there's the urban psyche and the old age, this disassociation. And so there's this world, solastalgia. It's the Greek world. It's, it's the pain experience when there's a recognition of one's lost place of residency. And so if we're disconnected from nature, then we're longing for that connection. So in the nature define, and I'll answer these questions, uh, other, I'll answer these questions at the end. I'll, I'll answer some of these questions at the end because they're, they're, they're gonna take a little bit of processing and answering. So, so in a nature defined lifestyle, okay, this system that we were in this last 12,500 years, it's in the rotting stage, it's, it's, it's over. And what we have as addiction counselors and addiction therapists and things is we have the opportunity now to create the next cycle of what is this gonna look like? Uh, you know, what is, where are we going? What seeds are we gonna plant for the next generation? And so we, we can talk about where, how we got here which I did because you need to know how we got here. It didn't take us, you know, one coronavirus. It took us 12,500 to 14,000 years to move away from the hunter-gatherer into the uh, industrial age, to the farming, to the industrial age, to the technological age of consumerism. So, but we're, we're here we are now, we're at ground zero again. So how do we really want to redefine this next phase of our, our, of our existence. So what seeds are we planting? And so in, so we know that time in nature and that it increases um, all of these good things for us, that it changes our physiological states, it changes our behavior, and it has for better health outcomes. We, we kind of all, can, can we all agree upon that? I hope, I can't see the other comment, but that we know when you go outside and spend time in nature, you feel better. I do. And so there's ways of getting there without, um, there's other ways that we can do it. So you're, you're locked in at home, but you know, we can, there's three types of interactions with nature. There's the indirect interaction, there's incident, incidental interactions and intentional interactions all three of them will help your mood. And so 
one of the indirect interaction is to organize your therapeutic office and treatment areas to bring the outdoors in. Now, for me, I happen to live in an area where I have lots of windows. I'm looking out at the roses all day long. Now, that helps, you know, um, and, and even having pictures of nature in your office helps. Then, when one time when I was in a, um, before there was dual diagnosis treatment centers, I went to a lockdown facility and the, ther the, the psychiatrist knew he would take me off the lockdown ward every day and take me for a walk in the neighborhood. For me, that walking between the buildings, the walking outside was very instrumental to my well-being. Um, and then there's in intentional interactions where you could have an adventure team, planned hikes, outdoor experiences, you know, even meetings outside. There's, and, and you know, that's what we have with our adventure teams. So there's all different ways that you can bring nature back into your practices that don't have to be, you know, um, don't have to rearrange everything. You can start to put this, uh, these pictures on your walls in your office. So when people come to your office, they, there's just a natural biological uh, thing that happens where they start to see a, 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 a fountain running, things like that, that are inexpensive, easy to do, where people can have a, a better sense of satisfaction. And so what I've, what I've done here is um, I kind of got caught up a little bit in talking about how we got here, but I wanted to tell you, these are, I've got easy to implement treatment strategies that you can, can use. And what I'm gonna do is, I'm gonna kind of go through them a little bit and then give you a couple of minutes to write them down so that then you have um, an opportunity to say, oh yeah, here, I, I've got these things. Oh yeah, Renee said, let me, I'm gonna go put a, a picture of nature up on my wall. So the, and take a, just take a quick preview of your, your workspace, like we're all at home right now. Take a look at what are you looking at? Uh, take a, a look around now and what are you looking at right now when you're looking, you, you know, you're listening to this. And I know a lot of people have been on Zoom way too many hours and that's okay too. But are you looking, like when I'm looking from my Zoom podcasting area, I'm looking out at a tree, I'm looking out at my rose bushes, you know, I have, um, I have plants growing right next to me. So what is your environment right now? Are you feeding your nature soul or are you starving your nature soul? Let's see, I'm getting a lot of questions, so I'll have to really look at them later. Uh, so, so take a, just close your eyes for a second and take a mindfulness walk around your current place where you are right now. You know, close your eyes and, and consider, you know, what in my, my current work environment, and so many of us are working from home, how am I being fed? Am I, do I, do I need to open a window? And do I need to, you know, add some plants. So actually can visualize doing that. So these are uh, easy to implement into your treatment settings. Oh, that's nice. Um, so, you know, 
you can join meetup groups. You can take your patients on those. You can suggest to your patient meetup groups. So is suggesting nature part of your treatment suggestion now? So right now, make a, a list of five things you can do for free or low cost to improve your work at home setting right now. Maybe it's go to Trader Joe's and buy a plant because we can still go to the grocery store. Just take a minute to do that. So hopefully that wasn't too. Um, so now make a list of five things you can do for free or low cost to do your inter incidental interactions. Now that could be uh, having people walk outside in between treatment, like that they could actually walk between therapists could be, you know, around the block or, you know, have, I mean, that's kind of crazy things. Uh, at Michael's house, one of the things is we have the mountains to look at and there's pathways through our facility. Our, our one facility is full of uh, greenery and things like that. But what can you do on your own, uh, in your own treatment practices now that can uh, help improve this? Like, so say you have a therapy office and you are, you know, you've got one window, but nobody's facing it. You could you know, you could turn around and maybe face the window and open a window and, and invite the wind into your office. Like a lot of people live in these buildings where there's no real air. But um, when I was visiting Hay House, they moved up in New York to be where they could see the birds flying so that they weren't just looking at buildings. Oh, fish tank's a great one. Why don't you throw some share with some of the ones that you think the fish tank I love a lot there's the fish tank uh, people have uh, treatment dogs and animals you know they're they're way more connected to nature than we are you know there's the trees in your office um, there's definitely having a, a some some air going through it there's uh, fountains you can put in so there's all kinds of things that you can do and I yes Water is great like that. Someone has state parks. Uh, oh, so somebody's got Mount St. Helens out the back door. You know, in, in taking walks with your clients, yes, yeah, somebody, uh, William does that with his clients. I know that when I was in the, the, the lock area, because I didn't really know what I was signing up for, it was either go to Karen or go to the hospital. And, and I wanted this is such an addict that I wanted to control it. I wanted to have a psychiatrist and Karen didn't have psychiatrists. It was all, you know, um, community model based. And so I was, I, he knew that I needed that. I didn't even know that I needed that at the time, but I did. So intentional interaction. So what can you do to improve your treatment plans? Like, you know, 
if, if it's group activity, do you do a venture therapy? Do you, uh, do you go outside? Do you take morning hikes in nature? Do you do yoga on the lawn? I mean, there's all of these things that you can start to add. And I know at Michael's house that uh, she paints flowers constantly. Yes, even that's one of, that's, um, that's the, um, you know, having your patients paint. You know, having, one of the things that I do is I go to the farmer's market and I cook. I've actually taken a, pay, a, a coaching client with me on hikes. I've taken them to the farmer's market to learn how to cook because food is nature. Jogging, yes. Uh, In-house yoga is great as long as you've got the window open and you've got a nice view because uh, we're talking about, you know, and, and yes, because yoga, you're breathing. And so all of those, all of those things can add benefit to your program and start to fill up the God-shaped hole that's plaguing us, shown as our decreased time in nature, our move away from organized religious religion kinds of things. And and I we with religion, I believe we threw away the baby with the bathwater. Telling people you're spiritual but not religious when you don't have a spiritual practice is like saying that you're sober when you're running around kicking the dog. It's, it's the same kind of idea. It's like, are you a living, breathing example of your sober, recovered lifestyle? And to me, nature really is one of the things that really, really helped me. So what I would like to, we're going to move in is to what does recovery mean to you? You know, what does recovery mean to you? You know, there's a whole, whole lot of um, things going on now about, you know, it, maybe for some of you, recovery means that you've been sober 32 years, you haven't had a, dr a drink, a, you know, anything like that. And, and maybe for some of you, it doesn't. Maybe it means like that you can show up for your life you know, it has all different meanings. And one of the things that's happened is that uh, there's this whole move about meeting people where they're at, harm reduction, and how if you start to build up skills in nature, you, you have maybe more of a chance of finding that path to what recovery means to you. So, you know, there's different models that we can bring into treatment and how do we bring these additional resources in to supplement these evidence-based treatment models? And how can, and my other question is, how can we fund research around these additional resources? Like, how do we prove that, uh, that some of these shamanic practices or some of these, you know, nature-based psycho, psychotherapy, uh, psycho-ecotherapy things are really working is we need more study around it. And so we, we have to do that because we have to shift the paradigm. When so many, when 25 million people are suffering from uh, depression and anxiety, evidence, evidence by the increase of antidepressants, by the death rate, and, and you and I, all of us here know that the opioid uh, is, 
is not being reported as the primary cause of death in a lot of cases because the doctor prescribed the medication. And so if somebody passes in the night, you know, it's still people are trying to find their spiritual practices. So somebody worked in a prison. So they, they started to paint the walls. Um, so they, yes, that would be really hard. So they tried coloring and drawing. They, they stole the color pencils. She needs suggestions for what you would do in a prison setting. How, how we can make a prison setting feel more nature-based. Wow, that's a great one. I would love to, I would love to uh, think on that one. And I would love for people to put what their ideas are in the, the comments there. Uh, here's somebody who's saying that hospital studies have shown that patients in room with a view of nature had much better results clinically. Uh, the person who works in the, another person who works in the prison does outside groups. These are great suggestions and they're not costly. They're not expensive to implement. In our town, they're building a new prison where they're actually bringing in the college to teach cooking. I mean, to me, cooking saved my life. The very fact that I took green vegetables and red vegetables and orange vegetables and had to chop them up, I wanted to die. But I had, once I started to cook, I experienced presence. And I think that that's one of the gifts of nature is to bring us presence. So maybe bringing some more cooking into the prison system can help. So Samsha says on recovery that, that we have health, home, purpose, and community. So now can people have those and have other practices? Absolutely. It's not an one done all or none type of thing anymore. Uh, knitting lessons. Yes, that's a great one. Uh, Ram Das used to tell a story about how this woman was sitting in uh, the front row of his lecture on mindfulness one time, shaking her head yes, shaking her head yes, so much that he knew she understood exactly what he was talking about. And he went up to her afterwards and said, I could tell you were really present there and understood this. And she said, he said, what's your spiritual practice? And she said, I knit. So it does not have to look like, you know, going to church every Sunday, but it has to look like something. So in, um, so we have all of these evidence-based uh, behavioral therapies, this, all of these, you know, these. Uh, so these are all one way of getting there. So how can we have some of these alternative models work with the 12-step model? Well, this whole, if you look at the 12-step model from a nature-based in that, that cyclical model I was telling you about earlier, it's, it's about acceptance, surrender, action, and service. It's the same thing that SAMHSA has. So, so first of all, we have to accept that we are out of balance. And the way that we know that we're out of balance is that there's a pandemic going around the world, whether you believe that uh, the wind is carrying things across the globe or not, I believe it, so that's all that matters for me. You can believe whatever you want, that there is something out of balance, that there is a pandemic that has spread from, you know, across the world. 
I'm accepting that. There's something greater that play right now in the universe. We have to surrender to the fact that we're at home, you know, that we're being asked to show respect for people who are less healthy than we are. And by self-isolating or self-distancing, my sister is one of those addicts who, who unfortunately um, ended up in the, the home, you know, the institution. And the COVID is, is running rampant in there right now. So I can't do anything about that. I can pray for her, but I can think that there's something greater here. And that if I look at my life today, I'm looking at the flowers and I'm okay. So I'm surrendering that I'm being polite and not going out because I don't want to get elderly people or other people sick. And so my action is to stay home. That's an action. And so I'm doing this to be in purpose to my community, just like Glenn is allowing, you know, doing this, he's in service. And so there's just some really great things about this. We can be of service to something greater than ourselves, whether or not we like it, because a lot of us have this 12 step model. So these nature-based traditions basically have the same format of the, the surrender, the acceptance, the surrender, the action, and the service. So I believe we have a, a, a longing and a basic need for connection, reflection, and ritual. And why do I believe that? Because if we look back all the way back to the cave dwellings, to the um, tablets and before, we can pull from history that human beings have always had this need for community, uh, reflection because they were drawing on the caves and ritual. So where do we begin? So first of all, if and we're using these same uh, these same steps that we use in in AA or these other things, but we start to look at how do we take these into a nature based uh, a nature based idea. So we can acknowledge that we are separate and disconnected from nature and that there's this hopelessness that are not, maybe we're not feeling because we're at the other end, uh, a lot of us are at the other end of it, but that the youth are feeling. You know, whatever, there, there was like a surge in some of the, the politics because there, there's a, there was a, a hope that was created. And, you know, what a lot of the politicians are coming to is this coming from this place of there's a groups of people, whether, you know, and you can go to all of them, that they're, they're playing on our hopelessness. But if we understand that we can build from this hopelessness because we built a, you know, I built my recovery from the fact that I was powerless over, uh, you know, people, places and things. And... I got on my knees and I asked for some help with that. And then I got help. So if we understand that here we are on our knees with this pandemic, we are. And then that our connection to nature is primary. We are nature. We know that every cell in our body regenerates itself, that we have, and this is what shamans have known forever, that we are nature. We're not separate from nature. We're not separate from this virus. We are the virus. 
and it's just not surprising that the Amazon, which are considered the lungs of the world, were on fire. What are, you know, the, our lungs, grief, were struggling. And so we can, even agnostics and atheists can find common ground in the fact that nature is everything and we are part of it. So what we can do is we can just start to invite nature in as an ally. For me, I found the wind. And let me tell you, I've been a seeker um, since I was 30 when I went to AA, crawling in on my hands and knees. I've been seeking. And once I found the wind, I no longer had to seek. I knew that the wind, Holy Spirit, Ruach, Nirvana, Om had me. I have a relationship to the wind. As I'm talking about the wind, the wind is blowing in the window right now. So if we start to invite nature in as an ally and actually include it as part of our, our treatment planning for people that, hey, part of our treatment is nature because we know it's going to work. We know that instead of, you know, uh, a couple of hours a week in nature, if we can increase that by double, imagine what uh, material we have for research to prove that there might be another way that we haven't looked at. And so one of the things you could do is take a nature inventory. See where you are living out of integrity with your nature. Right now, just take a quick note to yourself. Where am I living out of integrity to my nature? You know, am I still throwing out all, do I that's a simple one. You know, do I continue to not bring a bag to the market because, uh, because I, I think I deserve more plastic and, you know, the fact that the animals in the sea are full of plastic. You know, where are you out of integrity with nature? Do you spend time in nature or do you just talk about it? You know, for years I used to say, oh, if I only had somebody who would hike with me, I'd become a hiker. Finally, I realized I had to get out there and hike. So I just, you know, I, I don't think I have a ton more time in this. You know, I could go on and on and on. But let me tell you a little bit about shamanism. So let's go back before, before religion created us into different groups. So shamanism i think there was something before shamanism i think shamanism is now a catch-all phrase that has clumped in all of these nature-based practices we they they didn't know what to call it so they called it all shamanism but shamanism is very specific it comes from the tungus from the russians uh and it's it's about using oh i should have my drum using some kind of some kind of uh, drum rattle something that will take you and break apart your brainwave patterns so you can connect to something that's bigger than yourself small groups do the same thing but shamans do it they actually know that if they step outside of this timeline that they can have effect of change inside this timeline and so um and they understand that there's many realities going on concurrently, which is called the spiritual world. Shamans enter into the spirit world with intention. 
and so and they know that a lot of people have angels and they have you know we all even the christians knew that they weren't going to get rid of the the fairies and the angels so they brought them into their into their traditions as well so we've always had these extraordinary helpers but somewhere when i was showing you at the beginning somewhere back back about uh 12,000 years ago it became unacceptable for us to have our supernatural powers. When we moved from outside to inside, all of a sudden we needed an intermediary to have this direct conscious contact with God. They became priests. You know, it wasn't, we had, we, we had to go to the, uh, for absolution, we had to go and somebody else had to tell us, well, if we start to have this direct experience with nature, the nature will start to tell us. I mean, one day I, and this is really true. One day I was being out of integrity. I was over at my friend's house and she was a shampoo. She had the shampoo product. And I thought, well, I want the squirt bottle. So I just took one out of her garage and she's my really good friend. All day long, the wind was, was haunting me. You didn't have permission to take that. You didn't have permission. And, and you know, because I have this direct relationship with the wind. And so finally I had to get on the phone that night and call my friend and say, Hey, by the way, I had to, uh, I had to, I took a bottle of your shampoo. She said, so I said, you know, but I didn't have permission. And I just naturally, you know, cause we, as the, the, I learned the steps in AA when I did a real thorough inventory and in AA, I learned that I was not God when I flew, my sponsor made me fly across the country to make amends. So I made this graveside amends to somebody and this is how I know that there's a spirit on the wind or called your spirit wherever you want. But the very next day I thought, okay, well, so I did my graveside amends and I called another guy and he said, oh, his wife said, oh, he's out in another town. Don't worry about it. He's an AA. He'll understand. I'll tell him you called. Well, then when the harm that I had done to him was I, I lived at his apartment at the upside down light in Tipperary Hill, Syracuse. And I went to I said to my friend, oh, I'm good for the day. We went to Ruby's or one of those restaurants. Didn't the, the hostess seat us under the replica of the upside down light? Um, called the, the wife back. I said, listen, this is not good enough. I need to go see him. So I drove out in nature two hours to go see him. He said, thank you. I've been in AA 25 years. I tried to do my steps last year, but unlike you, I didn't go make my amends. And I thought I was just feeling as proud as punch. Well, I walk into another store and the wind blew in. Standing in front of me was the mother of the boy that I had done the graveside immense to the day before. My mouth dropped open and I, I was trying to show her my, my AA cards, like that made all the difference in the world. She said, Why? my friend says you're standing there with your mouth open. I said, well, I made a graveside amends to Jim yesterday. And she said, yes, and I'm here because he forgives you. And in that moment, I knew that there was something bigger than me forming this worldview. And then when I was lucky enough to find out that there was 150 wind gods cross-culturally around the world informing us about how to live more compassionately, how to, you know, they all have qualities of beingness, not doing this, beingness, and that we can tap into that energetic. And so 
I learned in that moment that energy had its own unique footprint that I was not in charge of and that spirit only needed me to show up clean house and surrender and do my work of service to other people. And so in shamanism, back to my shamanism, it's possible to do service work while in the spiritual realm that will have an effect on ordinary reality. And I know that from personal experience, whereas I've healed things like sexual trauma, physical abuse, and things like that through my shamanic practices. And how do I know that? Because if I go back to Samsha's definition, I have my family back. I, I didn't have that for years, and they've been back for about 20 years because I always thought they were different, but I was different, really. So addicts are speak, seeking a spiritual experience, and they're seeking it, one way to look at it is they're seeking it from raves. You know, raves were this, this spiritual quest into the desert. Uh, they are ritualistic. They're overnight characteristic, just like shamans. They have dance and music. Uh, they're, some of them are pharmacologically induced alterations of consciousness. And this, somebody asked me earlier what I thought about um, plants. And, and, you know, that's for a, a different conversation. I believe the plant medicine done under the right circumstances with people who are trained in those things are having lasting results with addicts. Um, I, I know a, a local doctor here whose kid was a heroin addict, went in with, you know, in the right situation, ha has been healed. I know many, many, many stories about that. I'm not even talking about you don't need plant medicine other than unless you're going outside to get mint for your tea. I'm talking about walking in nature, doing a wind, wind walk, and uh, that you'll start to form social relationships with oh, in the raves. So... The shamanic practice, the connection with nature, the journey, the healing for the self and community, it's a daily spiritual practice, pilgrimages to sacred places and visions and ceremonies. No medicine involved. I was at the La Quinta Hotel listening to somebody. I had a spontaneous dismemberment. I was ripped apart, sewn back together with arrows. My friends had to literally carry me from the room. I didn't know for 20 years that's what made me a shaman. I just tried for days to prove that that experience didn't happen. That was without drugs and alcohol and I hadn't had a drink in probably 20 years at that point. So the, these activities affect the deeper part of the brain. And so what, what happens is we've lost our awe and wonder in our society. And so that's why we want to start to bring back awe and wonder to these addicts that we're working with or people who have um, you know, mental health issues because that, when you can start to experience awe naturally, and it takes some while when our neurotransmitters aren't working and we didn't go into that today, but that was one thing that the psychiatrist taught me about how my brain worked. And once I understood how my brain worked, I took about a natural approach to heal it. I went to Ayurvedic doctors, I did fire walks, I did all of that stuff because I didn't like how the medication was making me feel. So how is your program already doing these things? So you've been listening to me for a while, so how is your program already doing this? You know, I'm sure you're doing it a lot of the coin outs, that's ritual. Uh, you know, leveling up, that's ritual. 
all of these things. So take a quick little inventory to see how you're it in your therapy practices, your treatment practices, your treatment programs. We're already doing a lot of these things. So we just want to grow them because because uh, we want to see people stop dying. Well, I do. I hope all of you do too. So the rites of passages, you know, we, we've lost our rites of passages with the church going away, the first communions, the confirmations, the bar mitzvah, the bas mitzvah, those were all rites of passages. So, uh, you know, coming out of treatment now is one of the bigger rites of passages that people are experiencing. So can we make it worthwhile so people understand that this too is, you know, important? And one of the things that I go back to my cycle of experience is that, um, that hold on, is that in the music and drumming, all of that, is that one of the things that we go back to the cycle of experience so that we, you know, we want to go uh, from that commodity where commodities doing into being is that we start to look at even how we treat each other as a cycle so that, so say, uh, 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 you have a, a woman and all of a sudden being an, an addict, being, you know, using heroin or using other illicit drugs or um, medication management, that can be one of the cycles of experience. And it can end just like we're in this big ending now after 12,500 years, this, and we're kind of in this gap time. Well, you could say, all right, what are we going to do with the next cycle of experience? So you go through that and you say like, how do we plant seeds? How do we grow them? How are we going to tend to them? So think of it in terms of like a 12 month, how are we going to grow? Because I remember when I was first sober, what I remember was that first year and it's 32 years ago today. So, you know, everything I had to go through that ritual of my birthday for the first time, Christmas for the first time, death for a first time. So if I look at that as one cycle of my experience as over, over into moving into a, um, into a new cycle of a healthier experience, instead of you know, this up, I was useful, uh, then I became useless, and now I'm gonna die kind of timeline. This move of this COVID move, I think is redefining our health, redefining our experience, and redefining time. So, um, yes, today is, my recovery. I always celebrate it on Easter, but it's really uh, the April 15th. Is today the 15th? So I kind of celebrate it on Easter. Uh, yes. So, so we want to look at their, we want to teach our clients to look their life in, in terms of one bigger cycle instead of defining, you know, that they have a life cycle, but then they can have these even even addiction could be a rite of passion, uh, passage if we look at it that way. Because see, that's how I look at it now. When I was 30, my father had a stroke he, and, and he died. And I thought to myself, well, I could die too, you know? And so 
for me, that first 30 years of using, abusing was one of my most important passages of tying. I mean, when I go in and teach them, I'm there like, oh, who, who sells drugs? Okay, I, or who sold drugs? Okay, well, look at you really have business skills. You know, I mean, I used to divide it and you know, I had to pay all of this. So it is there, no, all of our experiences counts. So I just want to leave you with a, a wind whistling experience just to show you how this works. Thank you, everyone. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to restore balance in a relationship. And if, if some of you are with people and stuff. So right now, I mean, we're all kind of cooped up. So we probably all have, yes, I'm celebrating the cycles of my spiral. So, so this is my wind whistle. I'm going to call upon one of my wind spirits to end this. And wind was carried in sacks. So I like to use Fang Popo this thing just fell on her and um so what we're going to do is you'll see just like how you can use these little direct experiences with nature and this is an indirect one to help move an issue all right so think of something that's nagging you today nothing too big like i have a pain in my shoulder and then close your eyes and write it on the air pain in my shoulder okay then i'm gonna call upon Fang Popo, she's the Chinese wing goddess. And she's gonna, this old crone, she rides on a tiger. She's gonna swoop down. She's got her wind sack on her back. She's going to pick up those words out of the air. We're gonna put them in the sack. I'm gonna take them back, toss them out to the ethers with love and light, seal them. And we're gonna do that and see if we can transmute some energy here from a little shamanic perspective. Are you ready? All right. So we are going to close our eyes and think of something that's just nagging you today. It could be Renee's presentation, that's fine. Um, or, you know, my shoulder being locked up, whatever. All right, now I'm gonna call to Madame Fang Popo and feel her come out from the sky with her wind sack and collect up all of our words. <sighs> She's collected all of our words, put them in the sack. Now she's gonna take them out beyond the furthest galaxy. We're gonna to toss them off with love and light. Everyone help because this bag weighs a lot. And, and I want to thank you. And um, let me see if there's a couple of questions I can answer. I kind of answered that question. Well, yeah, because people and in, in, they enjoy meditation and connection with nature because it makes us feel better. How can I take it in groups outdoors and still be ethically and clinically sound in my practice? Um, so Lori, you, you know, you have to have like, probably a nice garden space or something where you can and be well and you know like and i mean if somebody sees you walking are they just going to assume that you're with a client i mean 
we've, I, I think that you could create a safe place where you can see clients. I've had clients I work with out under the tree in my front yard, and I know it's more of a closed space, but it, I would make, I would find a safe spot. Oh, a wind walk. Okay. Glenn, do I have time to tell what a wind walk is? Yep. So a wind walk is, it's an intuitive exercise where you go outside your door, you ask the wind a question. Like, uh, it could be something like, should I have this or that? Should I do this or that? And then you wait till you feel the wind on your, on your cheek or a gust of wind comes up and then you just walk. It's a mindfulness-based present activity where then you don't have to think about the question because you've already asked the wind, you can put it aside. And by the end of your walk, you usually generally have an answer. And if not by then, uh, and this is a great exercise to do with, uh, with, with clients as well, that they get their start to get their own answers. You know, that they start to resource their own knowingness and get re-in-touch. Like last year, one of the shamans I worked with told us to find a tree. And so I visited that tree every single day for a year. I watched it grow through all of its cycles. And some days I'd go there and the tree would tell me to lean against it. I would feel it and it would be so also oh, nourishing. Let's see. Anything else in there? Um, so that's kind of what I have. I, you know, here's my contact information. You'll get the slides. Here's the resources. So if you really thought, oh my God, this woman's crazy. Uh, all my resources are there. Um, where, oh, I just got out of there somehow. Uh, so, oh, somebody else did that or, so there's a lot of scientific, uh, stuff that have been done with this and, and I'm happy to, you can look at my resources and I'm happy to give you more because, uh, my next book has a lot more resources towards the, we're in a time of a, a, a wobble and our way through it is to, to realign to nature. All right. That's about all from me. All right. Well, thank you very much, Renee. We really appreciate you being a part of the Innovations in Recovery Conference. I'm going to go ahead and steal this back here real quick. All right. And I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Thank you guys so much. If you uh, have any more questions for Renee, you can reach out to her. Don't forget, uh, we will send out a copies of this PowerPoint and, um, and the information. Uh, you, you should get an email tomorrow. We're also going to compile links and uh, resources from all the week's presentations and get those to you. Um, we're going to try to work on those for next week. So once again, I want to thank Foundations Recovery Network and Dreamscape Marketing for bringing you this, uh, this free resource, this, this free conference, um, and, and allowing us to, to give these uh, continuing education credits um, during this time. So uh, please go to their websites and, and check them out and, and ask questions and, and also thank them for uh, putting on this event for the this week and last week. Um, without these guys, uh, this event doesn't happen. So um, also, if you're interested in, in attending the sessions tomorrow, you can go to frnevents.com slash IR and sign up for tomorrow's events. Uh, tomorrow morning, we're gonna start off with uh, Kimberly Stevens and she's going to highlight brain spotting and uh, I believe she's going to try to do a, a brain spotting session there for you guys. So I'm really excited to see that. Um, that's going to start at 9.30 Eastern time. Then at 12.30 Eastern, we're going to have TJ Woodward come on and he's going to do conscious recovery. So 
really pumped to see TJ. If you guys have ever attended any of his presentations, you know he's a very dynamic personality, and, and I'm excited to have him here. And then we're going to finish the conference tomorrow afternoon at 3.30 Eastern with uh, Judy Crane and Tom Pekka, and they're going to do uh, uh, generational trauma, healing the past, present, and future, and, and dig into trauma work. So uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to tomorrow's event. I'm looking forward to wrapping up this amazing conference. Um, and so if you guys are, are looking for certificates and how to get your uh, credit for being here, uh, on Friday the 17th, we're going to open up the link, fou.cmecertificateonline.com, and you'll be able to go out and go in and, and fill out your surveys for each of the presentations you attended and print out your certificate there. This link is not live yet. It will go live on Friday afternoon. And, uh, and so uh, with that, I just want to thank you guys again. We really uh, appreciate you guys joining us from all over the globe, and we'll see you guys tomorrow morning at 930. Thank you.